uh, this is our second sermon in Leviticus 16. There'll be at least one more, and then we're being really at kind of the halfway point through the book, are going to break from it and look to a series uh, or go through a series in the book of Revelation. You'll see why. You'll see the connection between Leviticus and and Revelation, if you haven't already, uh, in, the, in the following sermon. So next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we will have our last sermon on Leviticus for a little while. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Please give it your full attention. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for him and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side." And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. 
And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. The Day of Atonement was the central part of Israel's yearly worship or their calendar worship. Verse 29 says that it was to take place on the 10th day of the 7th month of the year. Now, throughout our time in Leviticus, we've looked at other offerings. And, uh, you know, those, those first few chapters presented those offerings. All of those offerings were either, either daily offerings made by the priests or they were spontaneous offerings made by the people. But Aside from those, Israel also had a calendar of worship. They were supposed to celebrate certain feasts, which comes a little later in the book of Leviticus. But they would celebrate certain feasts and worship services throughout the year. And with regard to all those feasts and worship services, the Day of Atonement was the heart of it all. And on this note, it's really interesting that Leviticus 16, which is the chapter we're in, the chapter on the Day of Atonement, that it is the center 
of the book of Leviticus, not necessarily by chapter number. Those we came in after the fact and uh, placed upon them for our own help to locate passages and things like that. But it is, in terms of its content, the very center of Leviticus. And it's also the center of the Pentateuch. That is, it is the center of the first five books of the Bible, those first five books written by Moses. And so the Day of Atonement was, was very central uh, with respect to the life of Israel. It was the center of their calendar worship because it was the day when all of their sins would be atoned. And both they and the tabernacle would be purified from defilement. So Aaron, the high priest, was to repeat this year after year. And whenever the high priest, whenever Aaron died, one of his sons would become the next high priest and so on and so forth. And then year after year, the new high priest would perform the sacrifices and offerings on the Day of Atonement, which was to be a statute throughout the life of Israel. Now, if we could take a moment here just to summarize the events of the Day of Atonement, there were both purification and ascension offerings for the high priest, that is Aaron, and for his priestly household. And then there were also purification and ascension offerings for Israel, or another way of putting that would be uh, sin offerings and uh, atonement offerings. There, there were both of these, one set of them for the high priest and his family, one set of them for Israel. Now, the purification offerings came first, and then later the ascension offerings. But in between the purification and ascension offerings was the ritual of the scapegoat. Okay, so here's how the day went. First, Aaron would make the purification offering by sacrificing a bull for himself and for his household. And then he would enter into the most holy place to sprinkle it, the blood of it, upon the mercy seat. And then he would take one of the goats and offer it as a purification offering for Israel, which simultaneously made purification for the tabernacle. Now, after this, the second goat, the first goat was for the people of Israel, the second goat would be led out into the wilderness as the scapegoat, which we will discuss more next week. But after the scapegoat, Aaron would then offer the ascension offerings, one for himself and the other for the people. And so this would conclude the rituals to be performed on the Day of Atonement, at least on the priest's side of the events. Because the whole day was to be set aside for the people. They had obligations on that day as well. They were to observe it as a Sabbath of solemn rest. 
And in their solemn rest, as we read, they were to afflict themselves. Now, affliction was typically that which was tied to fasting. The people were to fast, and in their fasting were to be in a state of self-examination and mourning over their sins. And so this then was what the Day of Atonement was all about. Now throughout Leviticus, we have focused our attention on tabernacle worship. And we focus our attention on it telling a story of man's entrance into heaven. Adam, of course, failed to ascend the mountain there in Eden and to enter into heaven. And not only did he fail to enter due to his sin, but he was also exiled from the garden altogether. His sin made himself and all of us sinners. And now no one is worthy to ascend the mountain of God and to stand in his holy presence in heaven. Well, tabernacle worship is telling the story of man's re-entrance into the Garden of Eden and the ascent of one man up into heaven. Remember that the tabernacle was an architectural structure meant to resemble the mountain of God. It also had many elements uh, symbolizing a garden within it also. And so Aaron, the high priest... Was, was an Adam-like figure who was re-entering the garden and ascending the mountain to enter into heaven. Now this, of course, could not happen apart from the shedding of blood. Not with Aaron. With Adam, there was no need for shed blood because no one had yet sinned. But with Aaron, he could not enter into the tabernacle apart from the shedding of blood. Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself and for the priestly family. And this then allowed him to enter into the most holy place of the tabernacle, which symbolized his entrance into the throne room of God, into the highest heaven. As Aaron went into the tabernacle and passed through the curtain into the most holy place, he was symbolically ascending the mountain of God and passing through the expanse into the highest heavens to appear before God. Now, he did that once for himself. He had to make atonement for himself with the bull. But he would do this a second time on the Day of Atonement once he made a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of Israel, right? You remember he sacrificed the goat for Israel's sake and would once again enter into the most holy place of the, of the tabernacle to make atonement for their sins at the very mercy seat of God, the throne of God. And it doesn't say so here in Leviticus 16, but you probably remember that Part of Aaron's priestly garments 
was a breastplate which bore the bore 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And this symbolized that he when he drew near to God in the highest heavens that he was causing Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, to draw near to God. You see, Aaron was their mediator, the mediator between God and man at that time. And so he brought the people near to God. He was, in this sense, their representative, their mediator, the one who interceded between them and God. Now, what Aaron performed on the Day of Atonement every year was a pre-enactment of what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was promised to perform when he came to earth. You know, think about uh, at a a wedding. You have a, a practice for that ceremony. You go through it beforehand so that on the day of, it's all done correctly, right? And so in a sense, at the rehearsal, you're pre-enacting what will happen on the actual wedding day. And so it was with tabernacle worship. So it was on the Day of Atonement. The high priest was pre-enacting what would take place when Christ, our true high priest, came to earth. You see, Christ is the only true mediator between God and man. And he, as our true mediator, ascended the mountain of God, Mount Zion. He accomplished what the first Adam failed to do. And he accomplished it by doing the very will of God perfectly, never sinning. Not even Aaron, the high priest, could accomplish this because he too was a sinner. Which is why he had to offer a sacrifice to atone for his own sins before he could enter into the most holy place in the tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 through 27 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Okay, so the author of Hebrews here is making two profound distinctions between the high priesthood of Aaron such as we have it described in Leviticus 16, and from the high priesthood of Christ. First, he's saying that Jesus had no need to offer a sacrifice for himself. Because he, in and of himself, was holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners. That's the first thing. Second, he is saying that he had no need to make continual sacrifices for God's people because his sacrifice satisfied 
once for all the wrath of God against their sins. Now contrast that, those of you who are in Sunday school, contrast that satisfaction with the satisfaction of those in the Roman Catholic Church who say we have a satisfaction we still need to perform. He satisfied once for all the wrath of God against our sins. He made atonement for his people's sins by offering himself as their sacrifice. And so notice how these two things really fit together. It was precisely because Jesus was holy, innocent, unstained, and separate from sinners that he was able to make a once for all satisfactory atonement for the sins of his people. And now, beloved, having laid down his life as a substitutionary atonement on the cross, where has he gone? Hebrews 7.26 said, He was exalted above the heavens. He passed through the expanse, just like Aaron passed through the tabernacle curtain. And now he sits at the right hand of God in the heavenly most holy place. Beloved, Aaron, nor any of his sons after him, ever sat down at God's right hand because their work of purification, their work of atonement, never ended. They had to do it year after year on the Day of Atonement, as well as any time someone brought a spontaneous purification offering to them. Now Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 12, speaks to this, saying, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, the other priests stood daily. But after making purification for sin, Christ sat down. They stood daily. He sat down at the right hand of God, where he now makes continual intercession for his people. Hebrews, back to that Hebrews 7 passage, verse 25 says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he lives, he always lives to make intercession for them. He has sat down at the right hand of God in always makes continual intercession for his people. He does not only do this for a few moments as he ascends through a tabernacle and then reappears to the people. No, he sat down. He remains there in the most holy place of the heavenly tabernacle, continually making intercession For those who draw near to God through him. Beloved. Christ 
has ascended the mountain and entered into heaven where his blood speaks a word of forgiveness to us. When Psalm 15 in Psalm 24 asks, Who shall ascend the hill or who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? The answer scripture provides is Jesus Christ. Aaron pre-enacted this every year on the Day of Atonement as a copy and a shadow. But Christ is the second and last Adam who accomplished it in reality. The passage that Elder John read in our congregational prayer from Hebrews chapter 12. In those verses... Verses 22 through 24, it informs us that the new covenant people of God have come to, not we will come to, but we have come to Mount Zion and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where we are able to come to in our worship of God. As we draw near to God. You see beloved. Christ has ascended the mountain. Passed through the curtain of this world. And into the most holy place of heaven. To intercede for us there. And we await. His return. Just as Israel. Waited outside the tabernacle. For Aaron. To return to them. We know that Christ will return. Scripture has assured us that Christ will return. As Jesus ascended up into heaven before the disciples' own eyes, angels appeared to them and said, Why are you looking up to heaven? Do you not know that in the same way that he ascended, he will return to you? And at that time, he will take to be with him all those who are united to him by faith. Now, two points of application that I want to give you from all of this. The first is that Leviticus 16 told us that the people's responsibility on the Day of Atonement was to observe a Sabbath of solemn rest in which they would afflict themselves for the purpose of self-examination and mourning over their sin. And beloved, we too should always be examining ourselves in the Lord, mourning over our sins and repenting of them. Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over sin, for they will be comforted. And the Israelites were, therefore, to consider their sins, which those very sins which necessitated the shedding of the blood of those animals. And we too should lament over our sins, which required the death of the perfect Lamb of God. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. However, 
we have to be careful not to fall into a hyper-introspection, which would actually weaken our faith rather than strengthen it. Now, as useful as the Puritans' theology can be to us, they often fell into this type of introspection and unhealthy examination of themselves. One theologian has called this the Puritan paralysis because their introspection sometimes paralyzed their walk of faith. And it paralyzed their assurance of faith. Why? Why would it do this? Because instead of living in the shining light of the gospel, their hyper-introspection would cause them to only see themselves as sinners and not as saints. Hebrews 10.10 says that we have been sanctified. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That word sanctified there means made holy. And that is what a saint is, someone who is holy. But if in our introspection and self-examination of ourselves, we, all we do is see ourselves as sinners, then we will quickly begin to ground our salvation in the work of our sanctification. And we will never have any assurance of our salvation. And this brings us to the second application. The Israelites on the Day of Atonement were not to rest in their self-examination and mourning as if it was the cause of their purification from sin. The ground of their forgiveness lied in the shed blood of the substitutionary sacrifice. And ultimately, of course, they were to realize that the animal sacrifice was merely a type of the Messiah to come who alone would atone for their sins. And so, beloved, their self-examination first and foremost led them to what? Their need for a Savior. It led them to their need for Christ. One piece of advice that I've heard before, which I think is very helpful, is this. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks to Jesus Christ. You see, the more beauty that you find in Christ, the more odious your sin becomes to you. Looking to Christ actually helps you in your battle with sin. You are to mourn over your sins, no doubt. And you should self-examine yourself to become more aware of your own particular sins. But if your self-examination causes all your focus to be on self and not on Christ, then you will find yourself very quickly in what is called legalism. Which simply means... Salvation by your own righteousness. That's what legalism is. Salvation by your own works. And that is what the Pharisees fell into. And it's really quite interesting. In our text in Leviticus 16, in the law of God, 
the Levitical law, in all of the law of the Old Testament, there was only one day, one day that was called for fasting. One day where fasting was commanded. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees required people to fast twice a week. Do you see, therefore, how they added to the law of God? And in all their fasting, and all of their adding to the law of God, did it cause them to turn to Christ? No. It led them to reject Christ when he came. They had a legalism. They had a works righteousness. They believed that they could earn something by their works. And so even in their own affliction, it was a work, it was a merit in which they could obtain something, earn something by their own righteousness, by their own works. And they failed to see their need for the Savior. And so, beloved, of course we are commanded to mourn over our sins. We are even told that we are blessed if we mourn over our sins. And we are also commanded to self-examine ourselves and to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. But if we are so introspective in our self-examination that we fail to look outside of ourselves to Christ, then we'll never actually come to Him. The author of Hebrews tells us that Christ has accomplished once for all the purification of our sins. And knowing that we still sin, he calls us nevertheless to draw near to God through Christ. More specifically in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so, beloved, may our assurance be grounded in Christ, crucified, raised, and seated at the right hand of God. And let us draw near to God through him, our great high priest, the only mediator between God and man, our Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be all praise and glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed come before your holy throne this morning through the work of Jesus Christ. We are assured because of his work that we are able to draw near, and so we trust in him. We pray, O God, that as we trust in him, that we might thank you for our salvation 
that our good works would be those done in gratitude and never seen as those that merit any kind of salvation. And Lord, help us to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to look at our lives. We need to examine whether or not we are walking in faith and repentance. And so as we look to Christ, help us to see our sin more clearly that we might repent of them. We know even there that our our good works can be evidences of a true and lively faith. May we never see those good works as that which earns such salvation for us. May we rejoice in the wonderful salvation provided to us in Christ and may we tell the world of that good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.